It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Ray White, the largest real estate and property group in Australasia. And welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Podcast, available on iHeartRadio, also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from. Well, it's the end of another working week, Easter Friday weekend, the 15th of April for 2022. And coming up in just a moment, Rich Harvey from Property Buyer is here, and we're going to be having a look at misconceptions and even fortune cookies. But first, let's have a look at the weather. It's the main centre forecast with propertybuyer.com.au. And for Sydney, expecting mostly fine and a high today of 24 degrees. Melbourne, partly cloudy with 23. Brisbane, also partly cloudy with 27 degrees. And in Perth, expecting pure sunshine today with a high of 28 degrees. We feature market updates, interviews and trends. It's your real estate podcast for breakfast. And don't forget about the Real Estate Breakfast Club. Keep those registrations coming through. All you need to do is email us to myrealestatepodcast at gmail.com and write in the header the Real Estate Breakfast Club. And there are all sorts of things to win and exclusive real estate podcast content that only the Breakfast Club members will have access to. So that email address again is myrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Let's Talk Property, a podcast series with Rich Harvey. Well, there are plenty of myths in the world littered throughout our collective psyche, often shared as fact when in reality they're either misleading or incorrect. For example, fortune cookies were really created in Japan and not China. But there is one misconception in the real estate industry which I think people cling to as an absolute fact, and that is that land appreciates, buildings depreciate. And to unpack this misconception, joining us is Rich Harvey, founder and CEO of propertybuyer.com.au to discuss this in more detail. Good morning, Rich. Good morning, Craig. Great to be with you. How are you feeling? Oh, a bit tired uh, after last night. Uh, I think you know the reason why, though. <laughs> yeah, tell us a little bit about this Telstra Best of Business Awards. Now, you're among 24,000 businesses across Australia that actually put their nominations in. It was whittled down to just seven, which is an amazing achievement, really. How was your night? Yeah, look, Craig, it was a great night. It was incredible to be amongst such a calibre of, of other business owners. You know, there's seven categories. There's actually around probably around about 150, 200 finalists in total. But the category that I was shortlisted in as a finalist was called Progressing Australia, which is the top category. And what they're looking for, the judges in that category, is, is businesses that are showing strong leadership and solving a community problem that's quite pervasive throughout, throughout the economy and, and throughout the community. It's an incredibly rigorous and challenging business awards program. Honestly, I've, I enter a lot of awards, as you know, and my company's won 38 awards for excellence. But to win, if you can win the Telstra one, you've made it. Honestly, it is the hardest, most challenging. So to enter, you have to do two written submissions of about 10,000 words each. Then you have a panel interview of three people. And then if you make the cut, then you do another panel interview with three really senior people. So one from Telstra and two other independent judges. And the level of questioning they drill down to is just unbelievable. We had the final judging on, on Tuesday and then last night they announced the winners. But unfortunately, we didn't win. But uh, 
look, I'm really proud of my team and being able to actually be called a, a best of business finalist in, in 2022. Mate, you must be doing something right because out of 24,000 businesses just to get into the top seven Oh, thank you. It is. Look, it's a real honour to be to be amongst all those other businesses. And, and there were some great people in the room too and some very worthy winners. So, I mean, someone has to win and take out the gong. But for me, I, I look at the awards program as how can I improve my business? What can we do better for our customers next year? And, and how can we really step up to the next level? So um, even though I didn't win, uh, for me, the motivation is just as strong to be bigger and better next year. And, uh, you know, we can come out stronger at the other end. All right. Well, well done. And a question for you this morning. Did you realise that fortune cookies were really created in Japan and not China? Yeah, I did know that actually. So <laughs> I thought that's another one just to kind of throw in the mix there because uh, often we, we take on these myths as, as gospels, don't we? You know, we, we mm. listen to these platitudes, these truisms, and we think, oh, yeah, I believe that. And we often base our behaviour or, or activity around these and we don't stop to really question things. So I think that's why I wanted to bring up this topic today with you, Craig. And where does this myth come from in the first place? I don't know exactly where it's come from, but I think if you look at sort of the English aristocracy and, and the landlords and the idea of owning land meant that you were was considered wealthy. So it was considered, you know, you're in the upper echelons of society if you have land. But really, it's it's an incorrect statement. If you take it on face value, that statement, then it would suggest that any building that's more than 40 years old is, is really worthless. You know, if you look at a, a terrace home in Surrey Hills um, or you look at Buckingham Palace, you know, are those properties really only worth their land value? Of course they're not. It's completely an over, overly simplistic misconception to say that. And it's very rare that you'll find a property that's got some kind of building where you have depreciated the improvements upon that land to zero. It's going to have some residual value. I think the myth has just been perpetuated over time that people think that properties that have more, that are bigger in terms of their land size are worth more. But, you know, you look at properties of of acreage of properties out in Alice Springs or out the back of Burke at Longreach or wherever, those properties, just because they're big in size, doesn't necessarily mean they're of higher value to a a one-bedroom unit in Potts Point. So I think it's very important for for listeners to understand that this this truism as such is not true and you have to dig a lot deeper into into what it's about. And what about depreciation? How fast do you think that buildings depreciate in value? Well, if you look at the tax rules, there's buildings can be depreciated over a 40-year period. So 2.5% over 40 years is the general rule of thumb. And, and if you want to get an accurate, and I know every property investor should do this, they should get a building depreciation to really give you all of the nuts and bolts of how depreciation works. That's essentially from a tax perspective how depreciation works. So you can depreciate the building and also the fittings and fixtures within that building as well. And everything like carpet, blinds, they all depreciate at various rates. Um, some depreciate faster than others, but they don't go back to zero. Just because there's a building that's built you know, 50 years ago, there's some beautiful properties in the inner areas of our cities uh, and on the coast that are worth a lot more today. They might be heritage listed. No, that's a good point. And good design obviously adds to a property's overall value. How much does it sort of add with the cost and the value? Look, it's, it's really important to understand design. And look, architects are very much worth their money. If you could imagine you've got half a million dollars to spend on a building, okay, you've got a block plot of land and you can think, okay, look, I can put a, a three-bedroom, two-bath, double-car garage home with a good kitchen, open plan, living, fit-outs, you know, going to be above average, put in some nice quality fixtures and finishes. So that's going to appeal to a wide range of local buyers as homeowners or renters. 
So that's one option for your, for your building structure. Second option, you could spend that same 500,000 and try and squeeze eight tiny one bed sits onto that same, you know, and it might have uh, a shared kitchen, uh, shared bathroom facilities, and it's really cheap fit out uh, of appliances. And you do a really bad design and really cheap colours and just everything just looks crappy, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is you, you're spending the same amount of money on each. Which one is going to appeal to the broader market? What's your exit strategy when you think about selling that property down the track? The one-bedroom one, the eight, eight sort of one-bedrooms might generate a reasonable income, but it can only be ever be sold to another investor. And it's not going to have very, very broad appeal. So it's important that thoughtful design and, and putting the right kind of finishes that's appropriate to the area not, not over the top, is really important. So you see a lot of classic old homes, like I said, more than 100 years old, they can often attract a premium price. So really think about design. If you are building, really think about design because that really helps to, to add a lot of value uh, to the end, end result and also the rent return that you're going to get from that property as well because you don't want to be living in a hovel. You know, People renting a home, they need space for storage. They need place to do their washing, to put their bikes, to have a play area for the kids. It's really important to make sure you're thinking empathetically with the, in the end the person that's going to dwell in that home itself. Yeah, talking of uh, building, you raise a really good point, particularly around construction, because in this country, construction costs are rising rapidly right across Australia. How is that going to impact property values, do you think, at the moment? Very significantly, Craig. You know, this is one of the things that's in my arguments for continuing to buy property now, even in a declining market, even if prices are coming off the boil, because construction costs are rising so rapidly with inflation. You know, we've seen the price of timber rise between 15 to 20%. You know, my son who's a carpenter trying to get LVL beams is just so difficult. There's such a delay on them at the moment. The cost of steel, aluminium, everything has gone up quite significantly. So, and a lot of builders are running into trouble because they've got fixed price contracts and they won't be making a lot of money on some of their uh, existing bills. They're almost doing it for nothing. So what that means for the value of the property is that, in fact, it turns this, this myth on its head that buildings can actually hold their value. Yes, they go down in value, but they continue to hold their value well over time, particularly in periods where you've got rising construction costs. So rather than saying land appreciates, buildings depreciate, it's more that land appreciates and, and buildings need maintaining. Mm. <laughs> I think if you want to sort of change the, the way that that statement reads. A lot of sort of so-called property spruikers will, will quote that statement to try and support the fact of selling a house and land package. You know, they'll say, look, hey, we've got this 50 lots out the back of wherever. We're going to flog this on the basis that they've got, you know, 400 square metres of land. So you've got to look at a whole lot of other factors that's going to drive value. So is it close to transport, shops, schools? Does it have a good community centre? What are the recreational facilities? How far from the major education centres is it? All of those factors help to, to create value. So another thing to consider, it's, it's really about redefining this into proximity. For me, it's not so much land or building, it's the location, location, location or proximity. So if I'm looking at as an investor where I'm going to decide to put my money, for me, it's about position and proximity. That's, that's what I'm looking for as a, as a fundamental driver. Yes, yeah, so you raise, boy, there's a lot there that you've unpacked. And how would you advise homeowners and investors grappling with this whole myth? How should they balance the issue of land content versus land structure? Look, I definitely like to buy properties that do have a good proportion of land content. Don't get me wrong. I definitely like land and everything that I've bought. But what I'm saying is that don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
when people take this statement, they think, oh, well, I can only buy a house with land and that's going to be only my investment strategy. You can buy good quality townhouses, great quality apartments in the right location. They're going to go up in value. So if you're buying, you know, a one or two better in Surrey Hills or St Kilda or in the inner parts of, of Brisbane, um, and Brisbane has struggled though with its unit market, but if you're buying a good quality apartment that's that's close to all of those those facilities and amenities, that's going to really be set you up for life. It it doesn't mean that you don't buy those kind of properties and don't have that strategy. So I think it's really important to to get the right advice around your strategy and get the right advice around. You know, what are the factors that will drive a local market? It's not just the percentage of, of land value or the square meterage of the house. There's a number of different factors you have to consider. The quality of the build. You can look at the old Meriton buildings used to have really crappy quality. They have improved. Whereas something built by Mervac, fantastic quality, unbelievably high spec, brilliant engineering. Look at the quality of the builder behind that apartment. That's a really important part. I mean, some of the project homes that are built can be pretty crappy as well. You know, you might say, oh, I'm going to go with this land depreciates, building depreciate and buy, you know, this little three bedroom project home. In 10 years time, it all starts falling apart. Whereas if you pick a quality builder, it's going to be lower maintenance and hold its value a lot better for you. So let's sort of dismiss this myth and say, let's consider broader factors that land does definitely appreciate and buildings can actually appreciate if they're maintained well over time. Hey, Rich Harvey, thank you for unpacking that subject. Quite a big one to unpack, but you've done it, and the weekend is on the doorstep, so enjoy your your weekends, and we'll chat again next week. Thank you so much, Craig. Look forward to it. We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast.